Usually, I, a lot of times, I share something good with you uh, before I get into the sermon. And uh, today or yesterday morning, the Lord laid it on my heart. Uh, Melody Huggins is our assistant youth director. Could you give it up for her and all she does for our youth? And uh, she's really nervous right now to come and speak to you guys. But uh, she was just really touched yesterday as many of our workers were, as we gave out the box meals to the community. Uh, you've heard we gave out 500 box meals, so that feeds four people per box. So we're looking at 2,000 people that this church and other sponsors helped to feed. And guys, we understand that one meal won't save somebody who's in trouble. It won't get rid of all their problems. We get that and we understand that. But we hope that when we give, it points to the one who can solve all the problems. That's what we, we are trying to do through that. But I just asked Melody to share, and I told her she doesn't have to share very long. Um, but I just asked her if she would share just a little bit of her experience yesterday, just to report on something good. We need good news every once in a while, isn't that right? So uh, pray for her as she speaks to you, because I said she's a little nervous, but she's going to do a great job. So, Melody. Okay, well, first of all, I just want to say real quick, Brent asked me yesterday as we was leaving if I would share a little bit about my experience because he had walked up and I was really breaking down at the end. It had just touched me so much personally. So I told my husband, I prayed about it last night, and I said, I'm really nervous. I said, I don't mind speaking to like a small group because when it's a whole church, it's a little bit different story. But I did learn when Brent asked you or ask you if he wants you to do something he's really telling you that he you're gonna do this yeah yeah so um, I kind of didn't have a way to get out of this but anyway um, so yesterday we got there and some of us got there like at 8 o'clock yesterday morning and there was already some people that was lining up and one of the first things me and Chelsea we stood together a lot yesterday and we, we started noticing a lot of things of the different people that had lined up. And the first thing that stood out to me is there was a mom and her daughter that was there. And they had actually, they was there at 8 o'clock yesterday morning. And this little girl, she looked so cold as she stood there and waited with her mom. She had on a t-shirt, a little thin sweat jacket, no gloves, her hair was dirty. But the main thing, the pants that she had on, they were literally, they had to be at least two sizes too big. She stood in line and held her pants like this the whole time. The second thing that really touched my heart is I was standing there, this lady leaned over to me and she actually whispered and said, honey, I hate begging for food. So I leaned over and whispered back to her and I said, honey, you're not begging. I said, consider this a gift for my church to your family. And then the third thing, I think that at the very end, it finally, it just, I was like a hot mess express, y'all, by the end. Um, but this little girl, she came up with her family and as she was walking away, I noticed that she was carrying a box and was having trouble walking. And as I looked down, she had on a pair of shoes. She had no socks on, no jacket. And um, the shoes that she had on, I don't, they were so big on her feet. I told Brent, I really think they probably belonged to her parents. I'm not really sure. But she, she was just having trouble even walking in those shoes. 
And so as I left yesterday, it just made me realize how thankful that I am for everything that I have, and we need to all be thankful. And I just want to thank Katrina, because I know this this outreach that we did, it takes so much work, and it takes such team effort, and there was so much goodness there yesterday. Like, even Adam, I looked around, and everybody was just working together so good to help serve our community. And Adam and several other people, they were carrying boxes for people, holding boxes so they could get through the jackets, uh, get hats, gloves, and so in the end, even though our church was able to bless our community, we were really the ones that was blessed yesterday. So. Thank you so much, Melody, for sharing. And I, I'm glad you figured me out. Yeah, I don't, we don't do... We don't do volunteer around here. We do voluntold, and uh, I'm the leader of that. Hopefully, the Holy Spirit is the leader of that, but thank you for sharing. And um, it does mean a lot that when we can bless our community and when we can point people again to Jesus because he's the, he's the ultimate one that can solve all of our problems. And so we're, we're talking more about Jesus. We're in the third week of this series, What Child Is This? And we're talking about aspects of Jesus that might not always get the most press. And by the way, the sermon that I'm going to preach today is one that I would say most pastors would say, I am not preaching that around Christmas. But you don't have most pastors leading you, so you're just going to have to have to kind of put up with that. But we are in the third Sunday of Advent. Do you guys remember when you were kids at Christmas time? It's so neat. I, we've had we have four children, you know, my wife and I, and it's been really neat to see their progression over the years and to how they regard Christmas and now my older kids are a little bit kind of like eh, well you know they're, they're not as excited uh, you know even some of their presents are like I don't care if I get it on Christmas Day or get it early it doesn't matter but the little ones are always so excited about Christmas time they're excited about Santa they're excited about Rudolph they're excited about the presents under the tree they're excited about all of that and I don't know if you remember the anticipation that you had as a child about the magic of Christmas and what would go on there. But I remember as a child just waiting with anticipation for that morning. I remember some nights on Christmas Eve I couldn't even sleep because I was so excited about what would happen the next day. That feeling that you had as a child, that's what we're supposed to have in regard to Jesus Christ and his return. The fact that he's coming back one day. I, I hope that I have more and more anticipation as my life goes on, to actually see him face to face. Great blog post, by the way, written by Michelle Baker, who was our executive pastor's wife. Jason is not super quiet. Michelle is pretty quiet. But uh, she's, she writes these, and she wrote one about the Eastern Gate and the photos that I took when I was in Israel. That's the place we believe Jesus will ascend to the Temple Mount to rule and reign, and what that meant to her, the anticipation that she had of Christ's return, and that's what we're supposed to feel during this season. We're supposed to feel a childlike expectation of the return of Jesus Christ, of the fact that he came once, but he's also coming again. I wondered if people were to describe Jesus in a single word, how they would describe him. I wonder, you know, we could go about here this morning and we could ask you, we're not going to do that, but we could ask you to share one word that would 
you could describe your favorite word to describe Jesus. And I actually found a, a short video, a short clip from Great Britain of British Christians describing Jesus in one word. And so I want to show that to you this morning. Hopefully everything's set up for that. Show that to you this morning kind of as a segue into what we're going to talk about today, one of the facets of Jesus. So let's look at this together. Try that again. One word. Wow. Um, Fulfillment. Genuine. Best friend. Awesome. Awesome. Friend. Friend. Amazing. Amazing. Consistent. Saviour. Amazing. Love. Hope. Revolutionary. Saviour. Faithful. Scary. Hope. Love. Perfect. Awesome. God with skin on. Ascension. Love. My brother and my friend. Awesome. Mine. All right, interesting, interesting answers. You know, my favorite response in the whole thing was actually the priest who said, scary, because hey, I like outside of the box. I like people who think a little bit differently, and I like that because I think that's an honest answer. I don't think it's a pre-programmed churchy answer when we say that there is a scary side to Jesus. There is a side to Jesus that doesn't always get all the press, there are parts of Jesus that if we really understood them might make us a little bit, in a healthy sense, afraid. Because, you know, in our culture, Jesus is sometimes a pretty wimpy Savior. The press that he gets, the way that we describe him. I mean, he's really lovey-dovey. He's totally accepting of us. The Jesus that we hear preached oftentimes has no standards. Jesus that we hear about is non-confrontational. He would never confront. He would never disturb the peace. He would never cause any problems. He never gets all judgy and stuff. Jesus that we hear about is just the nicest guy that you've ever met. And there's really only one problem with that. The Bible, this book, God's Word, doesn't describe a wimpy Savior. It does not describe a weak Savior. It does not describe a Savior who just thinks everything about us is just perfect and good. It describes a different kind of Savior. In fact, the Bible teaches something about Jesus that might look like a contradiction at first if we don't study it all the way out. By the way, if you deal with skeptics, people who don't want to believe the Bible, they don't want to believe in Jesus, they're always looking for a contradiction in these pages and the reason for that is very simple if we claim that every word every part of this is inspired and every word of this is true well if it contradicts if this word contradicts itself then one part has to be wrong and all the cards the house of cards come crashing down and so skeptics are always looking for a contradiction and trying to point out where one part of the bible disagrees with the other and it might seem, this I'll be honest enough to say, and what I'm going to talk to you about this morning, it might seem 
like this is a contradiction if we don't think it all the way through. Between Isaiah chapter 7, Old Testament prophecy written around 700 years before Jesus was born, and Matthew chapter 10, which was written right after the life of Jesus, it seems like there's disagreement. It seems like, in fact, they're saying totally opposite things. And some might point out and say, both of these things cannot be true. And it all has to do with the idea of peace. The idea of peace. Let's look at the passages to start out with this morning. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. I know you've heard this before. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. This is the important part I want you to key in on this morning. Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, it reiterates it, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. So Isaiah makes it clear Jesus is coming to be the Prince of Peace. Jesus is coming to bring peace to this world. It's made very clear. But then 800 years later, Matthew writes about Jesus. And Jesus is sending out his disciples to spread the good news, the gospel of the kingdom. When you hear that word gospel, I want you to always translate that in your mind, good news. And what we don't understand a lot of times from our perspective is there were rival concepts of good news or gospel back then. When Caesar was born, they put out a proclamation. This is a gospel. This is good news to all the world. Caesar has been born. But when Jesus is born, his followers and those who would write about him say, no, 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 the true gospel is that the King of kings and the Lord of lords has shown up. Not Caesar, but Jesus is Lord. And so this gospel writer, as Jesus is sending his disciples out to spread the good news of the kingdom, says something here that doesn't sound very peaceful. It doesn't sound like it lines up with what Isaiah said 700 years before Christ was born. It's Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 39. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. As parents, we get that, don't we? I mean, your children are the thing you love probably the most in this world. And Jesus says, look, if you love them more than me, you can't be my disciple. You can't follow me. Then Jesus goes on and says, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. The Prince of Peace, but he says, I'm going to set people at odds. 
I'm going to divide households. I'm going to divide families. My coming is not just to bring peace, but it's to bring a sword. There's a parallel passage in Luke that I think is worth looking at. Still Jesus talking here. He says, I have come to bring fire on the earth. And how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo and what constraint I'm under until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. Wow. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against daughter, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. I'm pretty sure this is a passage that's not being preached in most churches around the country this morning. In fact, I'm pretty sure this is a passage that may not be preached in some churches around the country at all. But look, it's part of God's Word. And I truly believe we have to get a more holistic view of who God is, a more holistic view of who Jesus is. We're allowing too much the culture to define who God is and Jesus is and not God's Word to define it. So what child is this this morning? It's, it's maybe startling to you. What child is this, the baby in the manger, what did he grow up to be? He grew up to be the sword-wielding Savior, the sword-wielding Savior. I don't come to bring peace, but I come to bring a sword. But how do we understand this? Because the prophet Isaiah clearly said he's coming to be the Prince of Peace. He's coming to bring peace to the earth. And then Jesus shows up and he says, no, I'm not bringing peace. I'm bringing division. I'm bringing separation. I, I'm bringing a sword to this earth. How in the world do we understand this? How do we reconcile what Isaiah said about Jesus with what Matthew says about Jesus? Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. How is that enveloped? How is that understood through division and fire and sword? Well, I'm here to tell you this morning I don't believe in Bible contradictions. I don't believe that God's word contradicts itself. I believe sometimes our understanding falls short, but I believe there is a way in which Jesus came to bring peace to this world, and there's a way in which Jesus did not come to bring peace to this world. And we need to start understanding it. I think, I think we're in a time such as this, we need to understand that Jesus came to bring a blade that divides as well as peace to this planet. The primary way that Jesus came to bring peace to us was to bring us an offer of peace with God. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful that Jesus showed up to help us have peace with our Creator, to help us have peace with the one who made us, to help us have peace with the one who loves us the most? You see, because of sin, mankind was not at peace with God. Before Jesus showed up, we were not at peace with our Creator. We were not at peace with the Lord. Romans chapter 5 and verse 10 says, We were enemies with God in our natural state. Born into sin, born doing our own thing, born selfish, born all about us, born rejecting the Word of God, born rejecting His path, born not honoring Him. That's mankind's natural state. Our natural human state is one that makes us an enemy with God who loves us so much. But Romans chapter 5, I'm not going to leave you there. I'm preaching a little negative here, but I'm not going to leave you there because Romans chapter 5 verses 1 through 2 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, 
we have peace. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We were not at peace with God, but Jesus came. That's the message of Christmas. At least that's a big portion of the message of Christmas. We were not at peace with God, but God sent his only son so that we might have peace, so that we might be reconciled with our Father, so we might be made right before him. When you see that word justified or justification, it means just as if I never sinned because we're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. We're made right through his sacrifice. Jesus came to bring us peace with God. Thank God for that. Thank God for Jesus. We needed him so much. You know, before I got saved, I didn't have any peace with God. I was eight years old. You know, I've said before, how much sinning can an eight-year-old do? But I, my mom and dad, from the time I was three weeks on onward, had me in church every Sunday morning. And then we'd go back every Sunday night. And then we were there most Wednesday nights, and I heard a lot of gospel, and I heard a lot of preaching, and I heard a lot of Bible. So by the time I was eight years old, I understood I was a sinner. I understood I was selfish. I understood some of the things I did, some of the things I said broke the heart of God. I understood that I needed a Savior to save me from my sins, even at eight years old. But I didn't have peace with God before I made the decision to follow Jesus. I had trouble sleeping at night because my, we would pray this prayer, then now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Anybody ever pray that one with a parent or grandparent or somebody growing up? We prayed that every night, and I talked to my mom, what's a soul? What's all this mean if I should die before I wake? And I actually started thinking, what if I did die before I woke? Would God take my soul? Do I have that sort of relationship with him? Am I right before God? I did not have peace with God. I had fear before God. Before, at eight years old, I knelt down right across the way in what is now our youth room. I knelt down, and I found peace with God. I found that I had a Savior who would save me from my sins. I found that I had a Savior who came to make things right, to justify Brent Tysinger, to make me right before God. And look, at eight years old, I didn't understand it all. And since eight years old, there have been times I have failed him and made wrong decisions and still gone my own way, but he's always been there to pick me up and dust me off and walk along the path with me. Greatest decision I've ever made in my life. Greatest decision you could ever make in your life. At eight years old, I found there's peace with God through Jesus Christ. And so that's one way that, w that Jesus came. He came to bring us peace with the Father, to make us right with the one who loved us so much. So Jesus did come to bring peace to this world. Not only did Jesus come to give us peace with God, but one day he's going to bring total peace to this earth. Total peace to this earth. Guys, we're going into 2020. It's coming up, man. And we all know, I don't think any of us are, are fooled, this is going to be a contentious year. This is going to be a contentious year politically, socially, culturally, 2019 was crazy. I mean, some of the things that came down the pike during 2019, we just can't believe. But I believe 2020, there's going to be even more of that stuff. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. 
There's going to be all sorts of, of people opposing people, and there's going to be lies told and truth told, and we're going to have to be able to sort that out. It's going to be a crazy year that's coming up. But one day, all that junk's going to be over. One day, we're going to have one that comes back and brings total peace to this earth. During his first coming, Jesus never organized a military force. And they were right there for the taking. One of the prophecies about the Messiah is he would be able to miraculously feed people. And when Jesus fed the 4,000, and then again when Jesus fed the 5,000, and that's just men, so you count women and children, how many thousands were there, and he fed them out of thin air, basically. Took a little boy's lunch and fed them. I mean, they were ready to follow him. He had a military force right there if he wanted to take it, but instead he slipped away. Instead, he would not let them force him to be king, make him king, because he did not come the first time to build an army. He did not come the first time to bear a sword, a literal physical sword, and subdue his enemies, subdue the enemies of his people Israel. He did not do that. In the garden when he was being arrested, Peter, the impetuous one, the impetuous disciple, always sticking his foot in his mouth, always doing the wrong thing at the wrong time, Peter jumps up and he takes out his sword and he cuts off the, the ear of the high priest servant named Malchus. Jesus, can you imagine this? Jesus reaches down and picks up the severed ear, puts it back on, instantly healed. And he says to Peter, put away your sword. That's not what we're doing here. We're not, I've not come to bring division that way. I've not come to bring that kind of sword this time. I've not come in that way. I've come to bring division, yes, but not an army, not violence. And so Jesus, and we are supposed to spread the gospel for him through peaceful means. And as much as, as it is possible, we're supposed to live at peace with all men. As Christians, we're not supposed to start stuff. We're not supposed to be always angry, always getting into it with people. We're supposed to be peaceful people. We're supposed to be people. Now, I believe in self-defense. I believe you can defend yourself. I believe you can defend your family. Some Christians would disagree with me, but I believe that we're able to do that because it says as much as it is possible, live at peace with all men. It's not always possible, not in this broken world. Sometimes we have to stand up and sometimes we have to defend ourselves. But our default is always to be a peaceful people, a loving people, a kind people. We're supposed to spread the gospel through peaceful means. And you can see in history when the early church spread the gospel through love and spread the gospel through grace and mercy, how God blessed it. And then you can see periods of church history where they tried to spread the gospel through military force and things always went bad and we still suffer some of those consequences even to this day. We're supposed to live at peace with all men. But one day, the Jesus who did not bear a sword in that way, it's going to change. One day he's coming back to establish peace on this earth and to reign on this earth. Let me give you one of my favorite sections of scripture in the entire Bible. It's Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 21. It's a little long of a reading this morning, but I think it's worth it. Revelation 19, 11 through 21. John writes, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. 
He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. And I don't believe that's his blood. I believe it's the blood of his enemies. And his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword. There's that sword motif again. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's who Jesus is. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come, gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and the mighty, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and the birds, the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. I want you guys to put that on your Christmas card and send it out this year. What's the point? Jesus is coming back. And he is going to establish peace on this earth through superior firepower. He's going to defeat all the enemies, all of those who have abused people, all of those who have oppressed people, all of those who have created terror in this world. He's going to come and he's going to put them all under his thumb because he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so when Isaiah says he comes to bring peace, one day he's coming to bring peace for good. For good, He's going to rule and reign and nobody's going to approach him. Nobody's going to be able to overcome him. Jesus is coming back. And when he does, the peace he will bring will never end. So if Jesus came to bring us peace with God, and if he's coming back to bring peace to the earth, what is this deal about Jesus bringing a sword in the present day? Well, as A.W. Tozer once put it, to be right with God has often meant to be in trouble with men. Let me say that again because it was even better than you thought. To be right with God has often meant to be in trouble with men. I have a friend, he was a drug addict. Slept around, just not a good guy at all. He came to Jesus, and now he's a fanatic for Jesus. He fanatically serves Jesus Christ. And I, sometimes I wonder if we can really serve Christ and not be fanatical about it. Sometimes I wonder, because he was fanatical about saving me, so I wonder if I can do anything other than offer that. But my friend will actually say, he will actually tell you, his family liked him better as a drug addict than they do as a Christian. Because now his life is a testimony to how God can change you. His life is standing there saying, 
hey, you got to clean up, you got to change, you got to give your life to this Savior. Now, his, before his life was something they could look at and say, well, that's just, that's just sad, that's just terrible the way he is. But now his life says, look, there's something more. There's a narrow road and there's a narrow gate and, and, and few there be that find it. To be right with God is often meant to be in trouble with men. Beloved, here's a sad truth. When you follow Jesus, not everyone you know is going to come along for the ride. Not everyone you know is going to come along for the ride. John chapter 15 verses 18 through 21 says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. That's Jesus talking. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If someone hates you because you're a Christian, Jesus says it's because they don't know God. It's because they don't know the Father. Don't hold it against them. We, we only have one enemy, and that enemy is Satan. He works through people, but he's the great enemy. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. If someone hates you, if someone opposes you for following Jesus, it's because they do not know the Father who sent him. I want to give you this morning just kind of a word picture that comes from God's word. I just want to give you kind of an illustration to help you understand how this thing all shakes out. What was my point this morning? Well, division is going to happen. When you get serious about following Jesus, when you get real about following him, division is going to happen. He said it would happen. He said some people are going to hate you. Some people are not going to like what's going on with you. Some people are going to come against you. Some people are going to persecute you if you follow this sword-wielding Savior, this Savior who demands your ultimate allegiance, your total allegiance. But let me give you this picture from God's Word. When the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they were headed to the promised land. They were headed to a place God had promised them, a land flowing with milk and honey, a good land, a good land where they would prosper, a good land where they would be safe and they'd be able to raise their children and they would be able to have their families in the right way if they continued to follow God. But they grumbled, they complained, they doubted God. And so for 40 years, and they actually got to the edge of the promised land and just weren't willing, weren't brave enough to go on in. And so they ended up wandering around the desert for 40 years. For 40 years, they went on this journey that should only have taken them a handful of days because they doubted God. But here's how good God was. God sent them guides. God sent them visible representations of who he was so they might follow the, these guides, follow these visible representations as they wandered around in the desert. And so he sent them a cloud by day, and he sent them a pillar of fire by night to guide them into the promised land. And so before them always, the word of God tells us before the children of Israel always, there was this cloud in the day, and at night there was this pillar of fire. They were, would always see it. There's a great song by a Christian songwriter named Rich Mullins, and the, the, the song, basically the refrain goes, Everywhere I go I see you. And it's talking about, Lord, you lead me with a cloud by day, and then in the night, the glow of a burning flame. And everywhere I go, I see you. 
Can you imagine having a life like that? Everywhere you would go, you would see God. Of course, sometimes I feel like I have a life like that. I feel like everywhere I go, I see God. I see his hand. I see his handiwork. I see what he's doing. I see his mercy and grace go before me. But everywhere they went, they had this visible representation of God Almighty. And so when the cloud moved during the day, they had to follow the cloud. And when the fire moved at night, they had to follow the fire. And it didn't matter what you were doing. You could have been right in the middle of cooking supper. You could have been right in the middle of whatever. When the cloud moved, you had to move. And when the pillar of fire moved, they had to pick up and they had to move. They were nomadic. They had to follow these things, these representations of God, wherever they went. There was no option. If you were going to follow, you had to follow. If you were going to follow, you had to move. Could not stay where they were, could not go a different path. They had to follow these things. Why am I telling you this? Well, that's a lot like following Jesus. Where he goes, you're going to have to go. Where he leads, you're going to have to step out in faith and follow him. And you're going to have friends along the way. There were people who did not, in fact, most of them didn't make it out of those desert wanderings. Even Moses, the guy who was leading them, only got to go and and look into the promised land. He didn't get to go all the way into the promised land. Part of that's to teach us Moses was a representation of the law. The law can't get you into the promised land. But Joshua, which is a form of the name Jesus, Joshua is the one who led them in. Jesus can lead you in, but the law can't get you there. Being obedient to the law can't get you there. But what's my point this morning? When those things would move, they had to move, and some people didn't move with them. Maybe it went something like this. Hey, the cloud's moving. I got to go. And their friend says, you know what? I just don't feel like going right now. I think I'm going to hang out here. I like this spot. I'm very comfortable here. I like what's going on here. I'm just going to hang out here. But the follower says, you know what? You stay here. I'm going to follow Jesus. You stay here. You can do whatever you want to. I've got to go. It's moving. It's going on. I've got to follow. Or maybe they say, you know what? I'm just not sure anymore. You know, I went to school. I went to college. And there were so many people who were saying that that thing ain't even real. It's just a coincidence. And And they were saying there's other things we could follow. And I'm just going to hang out here and I'm going to follow those other things. And the true follower says, hang out here all you want. I got to go. The cloud's moving. The fire's moving. I got to go. I've got to follow Jesus. Love you, but I can't stay behind. I've got to follow him wherever it leads. Maybe one day there was a child. Maybe one day there was a son or a daughter. And they said, I'm tired of this. My whole life we've been wandering around following this cloud. We've been following this flame. Uh, My whole life I'm sick and tired of it. I'm going a different direction. I'm going to head back to Egypt. I heard they had better food. They had a much better culture. I mean, we're just nomadic. We're out here in the desert. Great culture. I'm going to head back to Egypt. It's much better. And the parent who was truly following had to say, you know what? I love you. I love you deeply. You're my own flesh and blood. But if you go that way, I can't go with you because I'm following Jesus. I can't turn to the left. I can't turn to the right. I've got to follow him wherever he goes. What if a whole group, a whole bunch of people, what if the majority of people said, you know what, I'm tired of following this thing. I can't get up and go. I can't. I, we're going to go this way. I mean, we've all kind of taken a poll, and we've decided that cloud and that fire has no idea where it's going. And I'm tired of following, and I'm gonna, we're going to go this way. We're going to go off and do our own thing. 
the true follower has to say, you know what? If you take a vote and it's 99% versus 1%, the 1% with God is a majority and I've got to follow Jesus. I'll let you go. I've got to let you go. I love you, but I can't go that direction. I have to keep following Jesus. You see how it divides? You see how one group can move, move one direction, people can move one direction, and it can break your heart, and you can say, I had great fellowship with you, and I loved you, and it was great, and it was wonderful, but I've got to follow Jesus because he's the number one in my life. Wherever he goes, I have to follow. And guys, we all have to come to that place where we make that decision. And if you haven't had a time for deciding, it's coming into your life. You're going to have to decide, do you follow him or do you stay behind? Do you go off the path with other people or do you continue to follow him wherever he leads? At 19 years old, I got saved at 8 years old. I already told you I made that decision to follow him at 8 years old. But at 19 years old, that's when I fully and truly surrendered and said, Jesus, wherever you lead me, I will follow. Wherever you go, I will follow. I'm not going to turn to the right. I'm not going to turn to the left. I'm not going to go backwards. I'm not going to go with the world. Jesus, I've got to follow you. And for me, that meant I had to admit there was a calling on my life that, like that priest said, it was scary. It was scary to jump into that. But I said, God, wherever you want me to go. And our, our youth are going to Cincinnati. Our youth are going to be at, at the youth convention there. And that's the very place that 20 years ago, this time of year, I made the decision, I will follow Jesus wherever he leads. I will go wherever he leads me. We're, we all have to make that decision. We all have to say, he's a sword-wielding Savior, and he's going to divide, but he's worth it. He's worth it all. That's a big thing to decide. That's a big thing to, to try to overcome and to try to understand. But one day, we're going to see Jesus as the Prince of Peace. Right now, when we follow him, he carries a world-dividing sword. And if you can't be comfortable with that, if you can't be comfortable with that division, you can't follow him. Because he says, I'm worth it. Either I'm everything, either I'm your all in all, either I'm your savior and I'm your Lord, or I'm not. But we all have to make that decision. We all have to decide whether we're going to follow him full-heartedly, wholeheartedly, or not. This morning, we're going to have our worship team come back up. And they're going to lead us in a final song. I think it's one of our favorite Christmas songs around here. We kind of do it every single year. And, but during that song, and I'm not going to really superintend this. I'm going to let God superintend this and kind of lead this. But during this song, if you want to come up here and pray, or if you need to make a decision, if there's things that are pulling you off path, but you know that you need to stay on path, you need to stay with Jesus, maybe you need to come pray about it. Maybe you need to come talk to him about it. I don't know. Whatever that needs to look like. You can bow at your, right there in your pew if you want to. You can come up here and you can bow down on these steps. You can come up to the front pew and sit there and pray. Whatever this needs to look like. You can stand and you can praise the Lord. Whatever you need to do at this moment. Let the Holy Spirit lead you in this. But we all have to make that decision. He came to bring peace, yes, but he also came to bring a sword divide those that would truly follow him from those that would not. Today may be your day of decision. Best decision you could ever make is to follow him.
Great job, worship team. Y'all, you guys can just remain standing. Um, my daughter, who's eight years old, says, when my wife practices this around the house, she says, but Daddy, Mary did know because God had already told her. I wonder this morning, do we know? Do we really recognize who he is? He's the Lord of glory. His splendor is, it, we, we couldn't even stand 
in his presence without his grace. wonder if we really know who he is this morning. This morning, I'm just going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a second. I'm not talking about salvation here. More talking about our sanctification. More talking about being set apart. I wonder if there's anybody with nobody looking around, if there's anybody who would say, you know what, I need to make a decision to follow hard after Jesus. Not just to follow him from a distance, but to follow hard after Jesus. To really recognize who he is and see him in his glory. I just wonder if there's somebody who would say, I want the end of 2019 and I want all of 2020. I want to follow Jesus in a new way. I want to get closer to him. I want to surrender everything to him. I just wonder if there's anybody who would just raise your hand and say, that's me. I want more of him today. I want to follow him closer today. I want to be all about him. I want to be consumed by who he is. When that cloud moves, when that fire moves, I want to be right there behind it, following close behind. Anyone else? Just raise your hand. Not going to embarrass you or call you up or anything like that. Let me pray over you this morning. Father, I thank you for Jesus and who he is. I thank you that you developed a plan that no one could have guessed. That you would take a young Jewish girl and through the Holy Spirit, you would conceive a holy thing in her, as the Bible says, that would grow up to be the Savior of the world, the Lamb of God. And he's worth our all in all. He's worth our total surrender. He's worth our full, fully devoted following. And so, God, those who raised their hand this morning and said, I want more, I want to follow closer, God, I want more of you. I just pray, God, you would do something in them like you did for me 20 years ago, God. I pray you would do something in them that would just change them and would change the world through them, all for your glory. God, we thank you for meeting with us this morning. I thank you for our worship team that did just a magnificent job leading us to the throne of grace today. I thank you for our, our children's workers, God. I thank you for our hospitality team, our tech team, God, our sound team. I thank you for everybody that surrenders himself week after week to help us to know you more. Continue to speak to us, Lord. Continue to help us anticipate, be, to be glad for your first coming, but to anticipate your second coming. God, we love you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray all of these things. And we all said together, amen. I love you and there's nothing you can do about it. Christmas caroling Wednesday night. We'd love for you to come and join us.